but we would need to take the bull by the horn as Africans and do what is right to ensure that we, we, we cause the transformation that we want to see in the health sector. So I, I think that's very important that we don't work in silos. We invest in our health system, we conduct more research, we work more collaboratively. And if we do that, our various countries, our continents, we will be better off. This is Immuno Africa, a podcast dedicated to spotlighting African immunology research. Here, yeah, we amplify the stories of Africans researching the immune system to tackle the continent's growing burden of infectious and non-communicable diseases. I am Ralph Okete, a biochemist and science communicator in Nigeria keenly interested in research on immune system. On Immuno Africa, I explore and communicate research through the eyes and lips of Africans who do that. Whether you are a seasoned immunologist, a burden researcher, or even an untrained person, I hope the time you spent here rewards you remarkably. Enjoy! To commemorate this year's Day of Immunology, I spoke with a renowned scientist and leader in infectious diseases from Nigeria. Professor Dimye Ogona is a professor of medicine and head of the Infectious Diseases Unit at the Niger Delta University Teaching Hospital in Bayelsa, Nigeria. He obtained his Bachelor's of Medicine and Surgery degree from the Amadou Bello University, Zaria, and has spent the last two decades researching various infectious diseases. Professor Ogoina's research interests span HIV AIDS, healthcare-associated infections, infection prevention and control, antimicrobial resistance, and epidemic-prone infectious diseases. He is also interested in clinical governance and quality improvement. He has held several leadership and administrative positions, including serving as the case management lead during the monkeypox and COVID-19 outbreaks in Bayelsa, and as the chair, subject matter expert, community of practice of COVID-19 case managers, Federal Ministry of Health, Nigeria. Professor Ogoina has been a recipient of numerous awards and recognitions right from his days in medical school. More recently, he was listed on Nature's Top 10 Scientists in 2022 and Time 100 2023 list of the world's most influential people. By the way, I stumbled upon Time's uh, list on Google and noticed you were among the persons recognized on that list. Congrats on that uh, recognition. Yeah, thank you very much, Wells. I think uh, I'm also very pleased and I feel very honored and privileged to have been recognized as uh, one of the Time's 100 influential persons in the world yeah. in 2023. I think it's a great privilege. I feel very happy and pleased about it. In this episode, we explore the International Day of Immunology Day. Immunology talks to public health with a focus on Africa and touch on various fascinating issues from the evolution of MPOX to the recognition and incorporation of the African context in immunology research. Professor Ogoina starts by telling us what the theme Immunology Talks to Public Health means and why it matters now. Yeah, thank you very much, Welt. I think it's a very important uh, theme for the year, uh, talking about the links between immunology and public health and the crosstalk that occurs between these two fields of uh, medicine and science. And as, as we all know, immunology deals with uh, our defenses against uh, foreign antigens, which could be infectious pathogens, cancers, toxins, and anything that is foreign to our body. And it helps to protect and uh, to preserve and even promote our health. Uh, on the other hand, public health is that discipline that deals with um, promotion, prevention, protection of the health of communities, a group of individuals uh, through several mechanisms. 
Uh, so when you have a situation where a field we call immunology that is primarily designed to protect using cells that are available, for instance, in the human body, and you have another field that is also meant to protect the health of communities, it shows that there is need for a crosstalk, a linkage between immunology and public health uh, if we are to benefit from what the two uh, fields of uh, science and medicine has to offer. Uh, and I think this theme is very important because it helps to put focus on that linkage between immunology and public health. It helps to create uh, more awareness on the importance of human immunology in um, advancing the prevention and, and promotion of uh, public health and uh, improving uh, public health in general, not just for any continent, but for human beings and communities and populations that live across the globe. Uh, so, we're talking about that linkage, right? the link between immunology and public health and its importance. Uh, I, I do know that uh, several measures in public health are informed by, you know, research research that has been conducted by scientists in their labs. So maybe in understanding diseases or also in developing vaccines and you know, drugs that could tackle these diseases. So um, I, I want to say in that context, last year, uh, there was this um, spread of monkeypox and uh, you were one of those scientists who was at the forefront of you know, trying to understand what was happening and I, you had given and we had one scientist earlier on about you know that kind of scenario that this virus is probably being underestimated and uh, we had to give attention to it. So building on that cross talk you've talked about between immunology and, and public health. So um, from my own experience studying monkeypox, now mpox of course, uh, from my own experience working with mpox and um, all that transpired last year, the new findings, the shocking revelations, right, about the virus and how it spreads and uh, what we should know about it. So how would you say immunology contributes to public, public health or advancing public health goals in the context of your work on mpox and perhaps other infectious diseases that you've um, worked with? Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I, I think the crosstalk uh, or interaction that occurs between immunology and uh, public health is very diverse and cuts across several disciplines in medicine. Uh, and you have just cited an example of uh, monkeypox. Uh, but if you look at uh, medicine as a whole or, or disease prevention or public health as a whole, you observe that the whole continuum of how a disease is treated or prevented or caused is related to immunology. And uh, I will say, for instance, uh, the, the probability of developing an infection following exposure is determined by the immune system. The immune system determines the eventual symptoms that an individual will develop following exposure to a pathogen, a toxin, a carcinogen, or what have you. The immune system has been explored uh, to determine how we make diagnosis of so many, uh, both infectious and non-infectious disease, because the immune system is uh, 
related to antigens. And if we're able to detect certain antigens or antibodies that relates to either an agent, it could be an infectious or non-infectious agent, the immune system, we're leveraging on our knowledge of the immune system to make the diagnosis. And of course, the immune system is very important in the therapeutics and prevention. A typical example is vaccine. Uh, when you come to monkeypox, you will notice that uh, immunology and the uh, immune system itself has, uh, has been a critical factor in the evolution or the public health story of monkeypox over the years. Uh, we know monkeypox as primarily a zoonotic condition. It was first described in humans in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of uh, Congo in a nine-month-old uh, young uh, child. And uh, the following years from 1970 to the early 80s, most of the cases that are reported were amongst uh, children less than the age of uh, 10 years. And most of the people that developed monkeypox were exposed to animals, majority were exposed to animals. So it was a primary zoonotic infection. Uh, that period was a period where we also had the sister or the brother of monkeypox, which is smallpox. And the smallpox caused devastating illnesses across the globe and it was responsible for a lot of mobility and mortality. Fortunately, the world through science, through immunology, was able to develop a smallpox vaccine. And the smallpox vaccine is the first and a very critical example of how we can explore the immune system to protect ourselves against public health challenges. On account of the public smallpox vaccine, monkey, I mean, smallpox uh, was eradicated in the early 80s across the globe. So we did not have any case of uh, uh, smallpox reoccurring. Um, what is also important about the smallpox vaccine, it was cross-protective against monkeypox. So those that have received the smallpox vaccine were less likely to develop monkeypox because the immune response that followed, the immunological memory that followed the smallpox vaccine tended to protect them against uh, uh, monkeypox. And so we had a situation where younger children who had not even had the opportunity of receiving the, a smallpox vaccine were more at risk. And they were also more at risk because they were more exposed to the virus through uh, various uh, contact mechanisms with uh, animals that uh, were reservoirs for the monkeypox virus. So that's what we experienced between 1970 and 1981. A situation where children were not protected, most were not vaccinated, they did not have cross-protective immunity that was available through smallpox. And so they were developing monkeypox. Fast forward in the, the late 90s to the 2000s, we're having situations where we're observing more older children were becoming infected. Children above the age of uh, 14 years, most less than 20 years were becoming infected. And we're seeing increasing number of cases of person-to-person -person transmission because monkeypox was known to uh, be a, being a condition that's largely transmitted via um, zoonotic animals. So we're seeing increasing person-to-person uh, -person transmission. And what that entailed was that over time, immunity that was ascribed to smallpox was waning. So people that received a smallpox vaccine, that immunity was waning over time. It was not as consistent as it was years back. 
Secondly, we're having new generation of people. What it means is that if the smallpox vaccine was last given early 80s, some have even estimated that close to 70% of the world's population did not receive or has never received a smallpox vaccine. And if they had never received a smallpox vaccine, the implication of that is that they don't have cost protective benefits against monkeypox. And so we, we increasingly saw a situation where in um, mainly in Central Africa, in DRC, in Congo, a number of young children and older children were developing monkeypox uh, following exposure uh, to the virus telling you that the, the winning, there was a winning population immunity and that, that is the role of immunology winning population immunity derived from smallpox vaccine that was protective against uh, monkeypox. Again, if you fast forward to 2017, we come to Nigeria, where we had uh, the outbreak of monkeypox in Nigeria. Uh, and then within a space of three months, we had the largest number of cases we have ever seen for the last 38 years. Mm. Because before 2017, we had just three cases of uh, monkeypox. Uh, but within three months, we're having close to 70 cases reported in Nigeria in the year 2017. That was very unusual, very unprecedented. And what was also unusual about the 2017 outbreak was that it became the first time we were seeing monkeypox in young adults. This historical account I've given you now, before now, suggested that monkeypox was common amongst children less than 10. Yeah. It yeah. evolved to children less than 15 years of age. But the Nigerian outbreak, most of the people that were infected and affected were within the ages of 25 to 35 years, young adults. And what is important is this, majority of Nigerians, young adults do not have smallpox related immunity that is supposed to protect them against monkeypox. The same thing will apply to children. And somebody asked the question, why should young adults be more predisposed than children? That could be related to the route of exposure. So what it means is that for Nigerian outbreak, although there were few suspected cases of zoonotic transmission, most of the cases of from the Nigerian outbreak apparently could have resulted from person-to-person -person human transmission. And that was the period that we suspected sexual contact as a mode of transmission mm. of monkeypox in Nigeria. And that could indirectly explain why young adults that were sexually active were more likely to have monkeypox than older adults and even children. What was also remarkable that relates to the immune system is that what we observed for the first time that had never been described was that we observed monkeypox amongst people with depressed immunity, i.e. those with HIV infection, advanced HIV infection. So we had a situation where we had a typical presentation of monkeypox amongst people with advanced HIV. They were significantly immunosuppressed, people that were not taking antiretroviral drug. And that 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 what that highlights is that immunity is very important in the protection, not just the protection against acquisition of disease, but it is also important in preventing severity of disease and even deaths that we were having situations where people with advanced HIV were having more severe disease and were more likely to die. It means that depressed immunity is the factor in monkeypox. And of course, the 2022 outbreak has also shown to corroborate what we found, that uh, monkeypox presents with more severe manifestation 
and it's more likely to cause death amongst those with advanced uh, HIV infection. So that's the relationship we have observed over time. But also interesting to note here is that when 2022, if you fast forward from 2017, we came to 2022, where we had a global outbreak of monkeypox and it occurred amongst uh, gay and bisexual men. And uh, of course, it's established that it was uh, transmitted largely via sexual contact, uh, which aligns with what we observed in 2017, that monkeypox was transmitted via, or is transmitted via sexual tra uh, contact. That does not mean there is no ongoing zoonotic transmission, but sexual contact has become a new route of transmission. And that has generally influenced the manifestation and, of course, the immune response to the virus. Because the immune response to any microorganism pathogen is determined by the site of exposure. So if a microorganism, for instance, enters through the respiratory tract, the type of immune response that the body will give to that microorganism is different from when it enters through the genital tract or the gastrointestinal tract or the skin. Okay. And we have a situation where in uh, monkeypox, starting from the Nigerian outbreak in 2017 up to 2022, a number, a substantial number of the cases were being transmitted related to the genital area. So we have situations where the disease presentation of monkeypox was completely different from what we knew about the classical monkeypox that, that was a generalized, generalized rash illness. So you have people with genital rash, genital discharge, inguinal swelling that appear to be a sexually transmitted infection. And that's why the common knowledge now is that monkeypox is also a differential diagnosis of sexually transmitted infection. So the immunology of the response to the virus, immune response to the virus, because of the changes in the route of transmission has also changed the clinical presentation of the disease. And there was a paper we recently wrote where we said what we're experiencing is what we call the new monkeypox. There's the old monkeypox and there's the new monkeypox. The old monkeypox is the traditional classical monkeypox we know that occurred in uh, Central African countries that was generalized, you had rash everywhere. The new monkeypox is a monkeypox that looks like an STI that is mm. predominantly transmitted via sexual contact, that the immune response is completely different. Mm. Also very remarkable that relates to the immune system is the development of vaccines. Of course, the core of prevention of diseases is vaccines and vaccines explores uh, uh, on the understanding of the human immune system uh, to protect humans against uh, subsequent exposure and infection and disease progression. Uh, so we're having situations now where smallpox vaccines that have been developed in the global north just for protection against counterterrorism related to uh, smallpox, smallpox. leakage lab, from labs, they, they have been redeployed for monkeypox prevention. So we have situations where in the global north, in the US, in the UK, in Canada, and many other countries, they, they, they were able to, on compassionate grounds, deploy smallpox vaccines for monkeypox prevention. And I, I know a number of studies have been done on vaccine effectiveness, which relates to the immune system, because ultimately, uh, when a vaccine is produced, uh, this vaccine is a non-replicating vaccinia-derived vaccine. It helps to stimulate the immune system to develop antibodies, memory cells, and these cells 
will protect the individual from subsequent exposure. And a few of the studies have been done has shown that the effectiveness of some of these vaccines following the first dose could be as much as 70%. Protective effectiveness could be as much as 70%. But what we don't know about vaccines, natural infection and monkeypox protective immunity is the duration of immunity and the correlates of protection. Because it's important to know whether the correlates of protection against monkeypox is related to neutralizing antibodies, uh, T cells, B cells, uh, cytotoxic T cells, or what are the correlates of immunity and how long will the immune response last, protective immune response last, even following natural infection or vaccination. That is an area that requires further research. Equally very important is what is also imagined that we even observed right from 2018 in our country, Nigeria, is what was never thought to have to, to have a possibility of occurring is monkeypox reinfection. That is having monkeypox two times. Okay. Yeah, so because historically, smallpox and monkeypox are related. And what the literature says is that it's unlikely, very unlikely to have smallpox pox on two occasions. Because following a natural infection, you have a long life protective yeah, immunity yeah. and it, it was believed that this should extend to monkeypox but in 2018 in our center we observed that one of our cases one of our healthcare workers developed monkeypox on two occasions 10 months apart mm. and that was the first time we, we have a case of monkeypox reinfection and the implication of that for immunology and public health it shows that natural infection with monkeypox does not provide lasting post-infectious immunity. What it means is that you can get reinfected with monkeypox even if you have been infected in the past. Of course, that is not fully understood, but this finding has been corroborated. We have not yet published that, we will soon publish that, but there are still few studies that have been done in the global north and three case reports have been currently published of monkeypox reinfection. Mm. in France, in uh, Italy, and some other countries. Uh, that's to tell you that when you have consistent report from different parts of the world, it shows that uh, this is likely to be true. Monkeypox is a condition that can cause reinfection uh, in individuals. And that tells you that the natural immunity following the post-infectious immunity, following the natural infection is not long lasting. And the global, we need to look at it. The fear then is that we have a number of people that have been exposed. If we have a situation where they are exposed again, irrespective of the fact that they have been exposed, they've had monkeypox in the past, there's a chance that they may become infected. And so that has implication for public health because the expectation was that if you have been infected in the past, your post-infectious immunity will take you for lifelong or for a longer period. But if you are getting infection, I think the report says from three to six months after your previous infection, it means that we need to focus on prevention and also look at the vaccines because certainly we don't know much about uh, monkeypox vaccines. Even clinical trials are ongoing and have not been concluded to look at the efficacy and how long the, the vaccines will last in terms of protection. From the historical perspective you provided to it, it appears that the virus has evolved so perhaps with mutations and all of that to uh, change its method of infection and also change its severity 
So is that what happened? So do we have studies on, about the, maybe, let me say the genomic aspect of the virus? Yeah, so a, a number of work has been done to, which has established that the virus has changed over time. And you know, I told you earlier on that we have a new monkeypox. Yeah, yeah, you and mentioned this that. New monkeypox, this new monkeypox is, I would argue, is a new virus. It's still a monkeypox virus, the mpox virus, but it's a new virus in various ways. Um, yeah. Because a number of genomic studies have been done and they, they've shown that there are uh, mutations, genetic, genetic polymorphisms in the virus that is responsible for the Nigerian outbreak and the global outbreak. It's far different from what was responsible for the classical and the traditional monkeypox known in Africa. The clades are even different because in Central Africa, what was largely responsible for monkeypox is the clade one strain, whereas in Nigeria is the clade two. And specifically, what was responsible for the 2017 and the global outbreak is the clade two B strain. So several mutations and the uh, polymorphism of the genetic makeup of the virus has been observed, which uh, confers on it additional advantage to infect and to cause disease. And so that, that is responsible for why the virus has, uh, the disease has changed. It's because the virus has also evolved and the virus has also changed over time. And uh, I, again, it is believed that the, the virus has become more adaptable to being transmitted through sexual contact. And uh, of course, what we are observing now, it is possible that before now, uh, there was no contact between cases and patients that have significant immuno immunosuppression, i.e. those that have advanced HIV. And if we're having a situation where a virus is being transmitted via sexual contact, and HIV also has similar routes of transmission, it means that there's a meat. And mm -hmm. uh, so if there's a, there's a meet between those two viruses, you expect concomitant infection, and that's what we are observing. Mm -hmm. And I always say the fear we have here is that we hope the story of HIV will not be retold. Where we know that when HIV started, it was a problem in the global north amongst gay and bisexual men. Mm -hmm. And a number of us in Africa felt that it would never come to Africa. Mm -hmm. And it's not a problem for Africa to worry but we know the story is different now yeah so if we're getting to a point where we are seeing transmission of monkeypox via sexual contact more severe disease amongst those with advanced hiv it's only a matter of time if nothing is done in africa that the monkeypox itself the new monkeypox this new not the old monkeypox the new monkeypox will come to africa very glaring in africa and you will have problems amongst the hiv infected population resulting in severe disease and even mortalities and that is what we need to recognize yeah yeah very 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 true and uh, i think there's this sad part to it that uh, if we don't do anything about it then uh, we'll have to face the consequence of being silent or you know not responding to the signs the warning signs that we are getting from the virus and of course from scientists like you so um I, I was really glad you talked about the Global North and also mentioned um, Africa in some of the responses you gave because uh, I would want the next question to uh, build on that, um, those two terms, the Global North and Africa. Um, away from monkeypox, you know, we are, I wouldn't say it's similar, but we are having uh, also strange 
uh, spread of other viruses, right? Like um, I think Marburg Marburg virus, uh, similar to um, I think uh, Ebola or Lassa. Uh, I think similar to Ebola, uh, as you no know, been witnessed in at least two African countries this year for the first time. I think Tanzania and uh, Equatorial Guinea, and then I think Nigeria is currently having. Uh, uh, another cycle of um, outbreak of the Lassa fever. So I, we know Lassa fever kind of comes and goes in Nigeria. Sometimes the the um, the cases are high. Sometimes you no, know, it's got under control. And considering the fact that are, we don't yet have vaccines for all of these diseases, because I, I like to think that uh, if smallpox was not curtailed at that time in the 80s when it was, it probably would have evolved into something worse. So if we don't have vaccines to you know nip these problems at the board right now uh, there are possibilities that these viruses will keep evolving 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 and you know things could just get out of hand like we are seeing with monkeypox now so what what do you are like the um pressing issues for africa now what are the things now so let's bring the conversation down to our continent immunology talking to public health in our continent so what are like the pressing challenges or the pressing um issues that the African continent, African scientists, African immunologists and you know, public health professionals have to give attention to, not just in terms of monkeypox, but also with respect to other viruses that uh, perhaps in 10, 20, 50 years time, if they are, we don't give attention to them, like Lassa, uh, the Lassa virus, um, Ebola virus and Marburg virus. So that if we don't give attention to you know, curtailing their spread, we don't give attention to developing vaccines to tackle them, they could also get out of hand and become, you know, give us this worrisome tale that monkeypox is um, giving us today. So, what are those pressing challenges for the continent? Yeah, and of so, course, so I you, think that you then prefer solutions when you've mentioned the challenges. Thank you. Okay, that's fine. No, that's fine. So, I, I think the, the number of uh, challenges and um, that we need to look at and tackle collectively as uh, Africans and as stakeholders in Africa, in uh, stakeholders in public health. Uh, because uh, the world is a global village, especially as it relates to infectious pathogens. If we have situations where we're operating in silos, national silos, state silos, regional silos, infectious pathogens don't work that way. Uh, mm -hmm. They look for a new niche and they, they move around. And so we, we need to understand how infectious pathogens and how disease itself evolves so that we can collectively work together to, to tackle it. I think one fundamental thing that we need to do in Africa, for instance, is understand where we are. That's very important. You can't solve a problem if you don't understand the problem. And, and we need to be, we need to invest in understanding because sometimes Way, the way the problem is painted, is painted from the eye and the perspective of the global north. And what they have painted, what they have discovered, what they have observed may not be the same as what is operational in the yeah. African context. Mm -hmm. And if we don't invest in understanding our context, we cannot have solutions, custom-made solutions for Africa. Yeah, That's, that's very critical. And with regard to disease conditions, and I, what I would say, I understand, you can say in the infection chain or the disease chain, it's not enough 
to say there's a disease, there's an outbreak, there's a public health threat in Africa, then you deploy vaccines uh, to tackle that public health threat when you don't understand what are the drivers, what are the root drivers of that disease? How is it transmitted? What are the whole susceptibility factors? What are the risk factors? What's the progression and natural history of the disease as released to Africa? So investing in understanding a disease and the processes that lead to a disease is very, 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 very critical. And that, that, that investment is not just money, it's also about research. And that's where we all stakeholders, our researchers and scientists come into play. Because sometimes decisions are taken, policies are made, guidelines are made based on researches that have been done outside Africa. Mm -hmm. And that is not because we're not doing good research in Africa. We have a lot of constraints in Africa, resource constraints and so many other constraints. Uh, but in most cases, we're working in silos. We're not putting our efforts together, to bring our efforts together to see that we put forward good research. And uh, we need to get to the point where we don't work in silos. Mm. And we need to understand what is different about Africa in terms of, if for instance, we're talking about an infectious pathogen, what is different about the reservoir of that infection? What is different about the virus or the, or the bacteria or the parasite? Is it what's different about the strain? What's different about it in various aspects, the serotypes, the phenotypes? What's different about it? What's different about the, the route and modes of transmission as it relates to Africa? Mm. What's different about the whole susceptibility factors? Is it a condition that affects children more, adults more, pregnant women more? We need to understand that that complete chain. How do Africans respond to that disease? How do Africans present? What's the natural history of that disease in Africa? So I think that's that's a critical step that we need to have the context, putting hmm. the context to our problem, understanding the root drivers of our problem. So that's the first thing we need to do hmm. in Africa. The, the, the next thing we need to do is invest in solutions, in sustainable solutions, like trans, health transforming solutions. For instance, vaccine development. It's still a challenge in Africa. And that became very obvious in when we had the COVID-19 pande yeah. pandemic, when we were highly dependent on the developed world to give us the vaccines and we're waiting for them. And they had to sort out their own population before the vaccines came to us. Yeah. And unfortunately, when the vaccines came to us, there was vaccine hesitancy. We had a lot of myths and misconception uh, plaguing us as a continent that we were not even vaccine acceptance is very, still very very high uh, low in uh, yeah. africa yeah because of so many issues related to meat and reconstruction so it's an area that we need to invest and vaccine research itself is not only related to vaccine production but understanding the microorganisms themselves the antigens associated with these microorganisms being having the capacity to to produce these antigens in the laboratories for the post purpose of vaccine development having the wherewithal, the support infrastructure that is required. Uh, I know of a scientist that told me that he's having difficulty working in his lab because how can he afford diesel to run his generator when there is no light? And there are some samples that you need to start minus 60, minus 80. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have light, how do you do that? So it becomes difficult to, to do certain things, even when you have the wherewithal. African scientists are very knowledgeable, very competent. Uh, but the environment might not be very conducive for them to, to, to do that. So 
vaccine production, vaccine research is very, very important. And it's something that we need to collectively uh, invest in uh, to, to see that uh, we make progress. The other thing that is also important is that we should not just wait for handouts. As Africa, we have a tendency of waiting for handouts for everything. Our medical countermeasures and therapeutics, we are always waiting for handouts. And perhaps we don't prioritize the health sector and the lives of our population as much as we prioritize other things. Yeah. And in most cases, we are reactive hmm. at problems. So you see that at all levels, we always want to take some actions even when those actions are not sustainable, sustainable when we have a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. So you see that, in fact, you understand what happened during the COVID, where the government officials even came out to say that they didn't know there was such a decay in the health sector in Nigeria. It was the COVID-19 pandemic that was very obvious that there was such a decay. And that led to some investments even if it was not sustainable in some areas, but at least there was some investment in the health sector, in the diagnosis, in the establishment of isolation centers. Some research groups came together, did some work, and did all that. So the point I'm trying to emphasize here is that our leaders, our stakeholders, must not always wait for handouts. They must commit resources, funding, political will to do the right thing to do the right thing because there are certain things we can do for ourselves before we ask for help outside Africa. Mm-hmm. And in most situations, we are either reluctant or willing to do for ourselves. And I, I, I think that's a critical point where we need to do for ourselves before we ask for equity. Yeah. There are issues of inequity in the distribution of so many things in the health, in the health sector in the globally and of course africa is paying the price and it's most affected but we would need to take the bull by the horn as africans and do what is right to ensure that we, we, we cause the transformation that we want to see in the health sector so I, I think that's very important that we don't work in silos we invest in our health system we conduct more research we work more collaboratively and if we do that our various countries, our continents, will be better off in terms of improved healthcare, being more responsive to, yeah. to the health challenges we face, and be more being more resilient in the face of public health threats. Yeah, great, great points you you shared, right? Uh, from understanding the context of our problems to investing in research, collaboration, you know, also investing in the political will, you know, to provide the funding and all the all the support that scientists and public health professionals need to make the best decisions for the continent and for you know its populace. So thank you so much for sharing all of all of those points. So yeah, um, you talked about context. In, interestingly, uh, uh, a recent episode I, I spoke to an amazing scientist from Mozambique, Professor Raquel, and she also talked about context, understanding our context, and I hearing it again from you, you know gives me the understanding that it's it's something that African scientists need to give lots of attention to because she was um, talking about COVID-19 and how that uh, from our studies, uh, responses in Africa, the kind of protein cytokines that are produced in response to the disease, uh, its manifestations in a setting in Mozambique is different from the study she comes across from the global north and then she was, you know, 
really stressing that need for African scientists and also for Africans to give attention to understanding our own context before we even think about solutions. So, but I was really uh, excited to hear you, you know, mention context as one of your major points. So um, building on that, I also want to ask um, a question, perhaps not so much as a question, but just to hear your thoughts on it. It appears that when we talk about, you know, understanding infectious diseases, for example, um, vaccines were developed in the global north, and then we had to wait for those vaccines to just give them to our populations. And uh, I know, of course, there has been this issue, actually, it got cancer treatment about um, global representation of the uh, African genome, you know, in the you know, um, genomes, genome studies and all of that. So I, I want to ask about, you know, or maybe you just share your perspectives about the need for um, talking about context, about the need for us to, you know, also um, understand the need for us to understand how our immune system responds to diseases. Because we, I, I feel like this emphasis is placed on the fact that we have different strengths. You know, the global north they have a stronger, um, maybe more experienced, you know, set of professionals, and then they have the funding to set up the right research and you know, provide the right public health workforce to tackle infectious diseases but i feel like we don't talk so much we don't say so much about differences in our immune system how that the Af africans you know we might have certain differences in how we respond to diseases of course if you you highlighted that but i just want us to expand more on it about the need for us to give attention to understanding even the immune responses in africa you know the uh, you were talking about correlates of immunity when we um, we got um, respect to monkeypox. So understanding those some of those differences, some of the things that will be different uh, in our populace, different from what the global north would have, and why it's important. And I, while while it is important for us to give attention to it and how we can, you know, strengthen public health responses in times of you know outbreaks of various infectious diseases. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's very, very important that we understand how the differences, regional, geographical, racial, environment, differences in our immune response and the making of our immune system or the shaping of our immune system will affect our response uh, to disease and public health threats. And this is very critical. And it's critical because if we don't do it, it's related to the context, but it, yeah. it, it, that context is also a deeper aspect of understanding how immunity plays a role in that crosstalk with public health in that context. And that we will need to not generalize because there's a tendency to generalize from the findings of a group that is not reflective of the characteristics of the other group. That's what we need to avoid. And I think it's very important because as I said earlier on, in the immune system, in most cases, it determines the natural history of a disease, the natural history of a disease. And we explore the immune system for disease prevention through vaccines, even therapeutics and the likes. Uh, we explore the immune system itself and the workings of the immune system uh, to, to prevent, to protect, to, to treat, to cure disease conditions. And if we don't necessarily understand the geographical, racial, individual specific differences in the way 
we respond to pathogens, in this case, microorganisms, then it becomes difficult for us to successfully implement public health strategies that have deployed immunological techniques for mm. prevention of disease. And I also say this because sometimes, unfortunately, because of inequity and so many other challenges that we have, most groundbreaking discoveries do not start in Africa, they start in the global north. Anytime a vaccine is supposed to be deployed, in most cases, it is tested in the global north. In most cases, preliminary research is done in the global north. And in most cases, what when these researches are done, they are done amongst a mixture of populations. Sometimes they have Black, um, Black Americans, Asians, Caucasians, and, and the likes, a mixture. Most of these persons, some of them, some of them can, to all intents of purposes, for instance, could be Africans, they could be Nigerians. But the thing about the immune system is that your immune system is not only reflective of your place of birth. Your immune system is reflective of your place you are living. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see some Nigerians that have left Nigeria for a long time lose their malaria premonition. The protective antibodies they develop to malaria because of repeated exposure, they lose it over time. And when they go to Europe and America and they get exposed to malaria, they, they have a tendency of developing severe malaria because their immune system was one strain, but because they left the environment, the immune system is no longer being trained mm. to protect them from severe malaria. And the same thing applies to many other things because microorganisms are all over the environment. And the type of microorganisms we have in Nigeria, for instance, may be different from the type of, and it not may, it's essentially different from the type of microorganisms, or should I say the type of antigens that we're exposed to in Europe and America. Okay. What it then means is that the way our immune system has been trained, because the immune system is trained by antigen, exposure to antigen. So the way our immune system has been trained is completely different from the way it has been trained elsewhere. And to that extent, the way we respond to pathogens even to vaccines, even to treatment may be different from the way people in the global north respond. So I have always said that even if the evidence is very glaring and it says that a vaccine or a drug is very effective and the study was restricted to somewhere in the global north, even if it's a mixture of person, it's always good that we play advocacy to ensure that African countries are also involved in some of these trials, that the African environment and the African immune system to that, if you understand what I mean, it's also yeah. reflected, reflected yeah. in that research, such that if there was a good response, we can confidently say this good response can apply. The truth about it is that some of this work, even on COVID-19 vaccine, were not done in Africa. Yeah or African populations were, were not involved in any way or the other. And we can't be sure, we can't be too sure, that's the truth, we mm -hmm. can't be very conclusive mm -hmm. that the benefit that were agreeable from the global north will be the same benefit that will be yeah. agreeable to the African setting. Yeah, true. And so, so it is critical that when some of these works are ongoing, that we also advocate that some of these studies have to be replicated 
or done concurrently in the African setting. Mm -hmm. And so that we can understand how Africans respond. Because, for instance, you give a vaccine, and if you say uh, COVID-19 vaccine, for instance, is protective, hypothetically, let's say it's protective for two years, and you have done this study among Caucasians, uh, we, we perhaps are well-nourished, uh, they don't have concomitant parasitic and other infection. Yeah, you can never tell in the typical African setting because of all these other variables. Mm -hmm. It can be shorter or even longer. Mm -hmm. And so, so to that extent, it's very, very important that this context we are talking about when we're looking at all these studies, we 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 look at differences in the host immune. Of course, there are a lot of studies out there that show that there are differences, racial differences environmental differences. Some have argued that Africans are more likely to have less severe manifestation of COVID-19 because mm -hmm. of concurrent infection that has sort of primed our immune system mm -hmm. and uh, they have existing antibodies and that are sort of protective against severe disease. So there are a lot yeah. of arguments out there that we need to look more for more evidence. But that does tell you that we don't have equality or sameness Mm. In, in, with respect to the immune system and in response to pathogens or to vaccines or therapeutics. And to that extent, when we are doing our trials, we are trying to make decisions based on evidence must carry along the African countries and the African patients and the African communities. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Prof. So uh, thank you so much for that um, rich, really robust response. So uh, I was really excited going through your profile. I think uh, I shouldn't be saying it's an impressive profile, but I, I, I'm not surprised. But uh, you have a really, really impressive profile. Um, but I, I first learned that you did most of your studies in Nigeria and Africa. Um, I think it was on Lancet I read about you and your work on monkeypox. So, and I think that makes it all the more beautiful that um, you know, all of these findings, all of these you know, amazing findings and amazing discoveries are coming from, it's coming from someone who is in the continent and you no, know, uh, they didn't come from an African in the diaspora. They came from, from an African in Africa. And, you know, we are really proud of all of these um, feats that you're making for us and for the continent and inspiring young people like us. So a lot of times we talk about the things that are not working well in science, in research. Of course, the interest of the podcast is immunology research. You did your research here and you've done so much here in the continent. And we know several challenges that scientists have to grapple with. A couple of things made you stay back and maybe there were some things that you felt, you know, maybe you had belief in the continent, but I, I think there were a couple of other things that were working. So I wanted to talk about, you know, those things that are working that can encourage or inspire someone to stay back in the continent and study because lots of young people, young, amazing, you know, smart people in Nigeria would like to travel outside because there, of course, there are better opportunities out there and then there are better factors that could make you grow and stretch your capacity. But I like to think of the future and what, what the future would be like if we would see have enough scientists who would be in Africa conducting research in our context and thinking of African solutions to African problems. So what are the things that, in your opinion, from your experience, are working well in the continent or in Nigeria and um, the, to train our scientists, to train our future immunologists and public health professionals and uh, what can we do better? So let's focus on the things that are working well and how can we improve on them? Okay, thank you very much. I, I think it's important to emphasize this that 
we have a great challenge of brain drain in, uh, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. in all aspects of the health sector, not just health sector, in other sectors too, there's a challenge of brain drain. And people are dissatisfied with the system. And then a number of cool factors, uh, better remuneration, better conditions of service, and so many other things that are pulling people away, uh, away from our country. And I think we need to deliberate to be deliberate as a country and the systems involved in these countries, the stakeholders, we need to be deliberate to, to see how we resolve this problem and get to the root causes and to see how we can address it because this is a great threat uh, to our health system, to our de- national development if we don't address this issue of brain drain. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the truth about it is that if you are not motivated, motivation is very, very important. And uh, there are different types of motivation and there's self-motivation too. The best motivation you can have is self-motivation, where you motivate yourself irrespective of your environment. But it is not always very easy to have self-motivation. It takes something else to give you the self-motivation. And I always tell my students and my younger colleagues that self-motivation is the best thing you can have. Mm. And that can keep you going, even with the environment. And you can have a good self-motivation when you 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 are passionate about what you are doing, the career path you have chosen. And you choose your para- career path not because of monetary benefits or being popular. You choose your career path because you are passionate about it, you like it, you have the skill, you love it what you love and what you're passionate about you can sacrifice you can have self-motivation to do to do that of course there are several discouraging factors out there that we need to tackle as a country as a continent ultimately if we don't tackle it self-motivation will also be destroyed and even the so-called people that are here to help their country will ultimately leave so i want to emphasize that but I want to say there are a lot of things good about Africa and about Nigeria. And uh, that we would, of course, we have a lot of very intelligent, very competent people. And that's why if I speak of Nigeria, if we go out, out of the country, we do very, very well, we we'll do excellently well. We're one of the best in any sphere of life when we yeah. go out of the country. That tells yeah. you that we have what it takes to work, uh, to work very hard. Um, I had the opportunity of working in Nigeria. I've not had the opportunity of working outside Nigeria, and I'm very fortunate and privileged to be recognized while working in Nigeria in a mm-hmm. very small, uh, semi-urban, uh, small hospital, a small city, uh, small, everything very small. <laughs> and, and that tells you that it's not necessarily about size. You, you yeah. may be recognized for the work you, are, you do, not necessarily a very big hospital or a big university or a big place. Mm-hmm. It, it's just about <clears throat> being attention to detail and the passion to do what is right. And curiosity is very important. I'm a very curious-minded person. Uh, and uh, every researcher requires curiosity. Mm. If, you're not, if you don't have sufficient curiosity, it becomes difficult for you to break new grounds, uh, to uncover things. Curiosity is a driving force, and I'm a very curious person. And I think what we neglect in Africa is that Africa is an untapped zone. We are all running out of Africa, 
of course, because of better welfare, better remuneration, better working environment. But there are so many things in Africa that they yet to be discovered. Mm. And you'll be surprised that if you speak to colleagues out there, they are interested in doing research in Africa because they want to discover something new. And then they, they know that there are so many things in Africa that are yet to be discovered. Yeah. So many things yet to be, that's the truth. We are ignorant of so many things. When I say ignorant, what I mean is that not intellectual ignorant. We don't mm. know. Yeah. There are so many, in fact, you'll be surprised there are so many disease conditions we are yet to discover in Africa. Mm. And if I give you an historical account of some of those disease conditions that were even discovered, they were discovered because, like Lassa fever. Lassa fever has been with us for a long time. It was when the white man had died from an illness that we attributed to witchcraft. Mm. It was when that happened that samples were taken outside the country and they discovered mm. Lassa virus. Yeah. When uh, Marburg, for instance, it was when we had cases in uh, Germany or so, that's why it's called Mar- Marburg figure, fever, huh? okay. that somebody did an investigation and found out that uh, this was responsible for, for this. So there are a lot of things that are yet to be discovered in Africa. Unfortunately, the environment is not very friendly and not everybody is self-motivated. That's the truth. Not everybody is self-motivated. People are looking to the environment, looking to the system to motivate them. And if you are, if you don't have self-motivation, you will leave the way you will be motivated. So I, I always tell my younger ones, my students, is that life is not necessarily about money. It's not necessarily about fame. It's about your personal satisfaction. What makes you happy? Mm. What really makes you happy? And that is what you need to define as a person. What really makes you happy? I'm very passionate about research. I'm very passionate about clinical medicine. And I, I have a very curious mind. And so when I see everything, I, I, I teach my students what they call the concept of why. And the concept of why says that you must ask why for everything. Mm. If somebody is blind, why? Somebody mm. asks malaria, why? You know, I say as doctors, I tell my, my resident doctors, we have a tendency to be very mechanical. So somebody has malaria, you give them anti-malaria. And you say, Madam or guy, you are fine, go home. You don't ask why. Why should the man even have malaria? Why? Say the mosquito bite. Why should they have mosquito bite? Mm-hmm. Asking why. And that is where the discoveries come. When you ask why, why? Why the curious mind to always be asking why? Why? We don't have it because the environment has also so many things about the environment has made us very discouraged that our mindset is no longer curious we don't have innovative mindset to do so many things mm-hmm. and it takes your love for something there are so many things i can do for free you have called me for this interview i have many other things but it's to share now it's an opportunity to share mm-hmm. and uh, i also take such opportunities to share experience to learn I, i'm still very, I'm, I'm still learning a lot still very learning a lot and a lot of things you do not because you for monetary gains or for fame but because you love doing it i i, I selected the profession i'm doing now because i love it and because i loved it i'm able to do certain things freely willfully consistently sustainably and because i have also have a curious mind when i set out to report monkeypox and everyone knew I would get recognition for it. I was doing it because I felt there was something in which I was very curious about it. Mm. 
I said there was something unusual here. No, we have to describe it. We have to describe what is unusual here. Mm-hmm. And I made attempts. I submitted in some journals. They rejected the paper. And I did not give up until eventually somebody accepted it. And now the story is uh, completely different. Yeah. So uh, I think it's important that uh, we, we have a lot of things in our country. And the, the, to change for Nigeria is a collective effort. We must recognize that everybody needs to change. And the, the change that we want to see will start with us. If we are leaving it to the next person to say, no, I will jackpot, everybody is jackpotting, jackpotting. Where you're going to ultimately become crowded, there's nothing wrong with jackpotting. As long as you jackpot for the good reason, right reason. Mm. Uh, Nigeria is our country. Ultimately, we will we'll need to see how the country succeeds. So whatever we need to do to do to make sure the country succeeds, that's fine. Uh, nothing wrong with jackpotting. If you want to jackpot, it's your decision. But know why you are jackpotting the purpose of your jacquarine, purpose, what you yeah. want to offer. And don't forget your country too why you do that. Mm. Mm. Profound, profound points and insights. Thank you so much, Prof. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so you. we are wrapping up already. I don't know if you have uh, final words um, for your fellow scientists or for young people or just anything at all so that you want to share. Thank you. Yeah, so I think my final words would be saying that uh, the responsibility to protect ourselves, to remain healthy, to treat, to prevent disease, manage disease, cure disease. That responsibility primarily rests with the individual and extends to communities, to systems, to governments and the likes. And as individuals, we have a responsibility to stay healthy. A healthy lifestyle is very important. And one of the best ways to preserve, to protect, to have a robust immune system is healthy lifestyle. In fact, most of the disease conditions we are predisposed to is because our lifestyle has a negative impact on our immune system. So what we do, what we eat, behavior, attitudes, and, and the likes, has negatively impacted on our immune system and has predisposed us to several disease conditions. And I always say that the immune system is the best access we have. And whatever we need to do to protect our immune system, we need to do that. One very important thing to protect our immune system is, is rest. It's important that we have fine time to rest. Whatever we're doing, whatever you do, find time to rest. And it's something, even for me, that I have so many multiple tasks it's something I always want to do. Find time to rest. When you rest, it protects your immune system and it protects you from uh, disease condition. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Prof. I, I am honored once again to host you on this platform. Thank you so much. You would agree with me that Professor Demia Ogoina has shared more than enough knowledge for both current and emerging immunology and public health scientists in Africa. The challenges we grapple with in the continent do not negate the multiple untapped opportunities and potentials available to us. If we hope to tap and exploit these latent resources, we must understand our context as a continent, embrace collaboration and invest in the political will to fund and sustain scientific research. 
Thank you for listening to this episode on Immuno Africa. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it with your network. You will learn first about future episodes and get other immunology related updates by following Immuno underscore Africa or the Immunology in Africa podcast on social media. See you on the next episode. Bye.